0: Welcome to Casting Hope, the sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. I have not met you. We are so glad that you're here, We're so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning Uh, if, If you have a Bible, I invite you to grab that at this time. If you don't, maybe grab it on your phone or listen along. And we are turning this morning to the book of James, right at the beginning of the book of James in the New Testament. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. Last week, Aaron closed out our summer psalm series, and today we begin our walk through the book of James together. But before we dig in chapter by chapter, really passage by passage, I want to spend this morning with you all introducing the book of James. I want to answer the question, why James? There's 65 other books in the Bible. Why are we spending this fall in the book of James? Well, before we answer this question or try to answer this question, let's just pray briefly. Lord, would the words in my mouth, with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you? You are our rock. You are our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, would you empower this time so that your word would go and power and do what it set out to do? That we wouldn't be hardened by your word, but instead that we would be softened by your word, that we would see and sing of the beauty of your son, Jesus. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, when I was a kid, and I want to see a show of hands, maybe, I loved to go to the MCL cafeteria. Maybe you're like, as an adult, I love to go to the MCL cafeteria. We had one in the Muncie Mall where I grew up, and every once in a while, we would go with with my grandma, Hack, And for me, the best part of the MCL cafeteria was that you got to fill your tray with whatever you wanted. Think about how amazing that is as a kid. And skip over (laughs) what you didn't want. And you always kept your eye at the end of the aisle because that's where the pudding was. Salisbury steak. Carrots. And then you had... Oh, and then there's that island of ice cream that's right in the middle of everything. So there are endless options. But you were limited to your tray. And so you made very careful decisions. And so by the time you got up to the register, you had this perfectly curated dinner with the only things that you were hungry to eat. And that's the allure of the MCL, or any cafeteria, really. You only eat what you want and you skip over the rest. And sadly, this is how I approach the Bible. When I only fill my tray with Scripture that I want to engage in, and Scripture that I want to read, and skip over the rest. I know the rest is good. I know the rest is good for me. I know I might even like the rest. But there are other things I'd rather put on my limited tray. Psalms are a great example of this dynamic in my life. So we just got done talking about the Psalms of Praise. I don't know if you noticed, I love the psalm of praise. If if the scriptures was a cafeteria, I'd be pulling psalms of praise on my tray and checking out. I struggle, on the other hand, with the psalms of lament and other styles of psalms. And so if I have a limited tray in my life, I will turn to the psalms of praise over and over and over and over again. To borrow a phrase from a Bible scholar, I don't reject the other psalms, but I certainly am tempted to neglect the other psalms. Don't we all kind of do this, if we're honest? We don't reject, maybe not all of us rejects parts of scripture, but neglect? Neglect? I think so. There are usually very subtle reasons for this neglect as well. We may be confused about it. We may be agitated by it. We may just be comfortable with whatever we like and whatever we know. And whatever we enjoy about God's word. Which brings us to the book of James. Because James is, I would argue, familiar but neglected. It's familiar. I'm sure you've heard phrases, faith without works is dead. Consider it joy. But still, it's probably the most neglected book in our New Testament. James is, in other words, like the steamed carrots at the MCL. It's good for you. It may be nutritious. But many people don't choose it. And a church like Hope, I think, is particularly tempted to neglect a book like James. And I just want to give you five reasons that I see that would make it particularly tempting for us to neglect a book like James. And the first is this. We as a church, I think it's safe to say, is allergic To performative spirituality. We are allergic to performative Christianity. And so we're tempted to neglect James. Because we're allergic to sort of surface level spirituality. And we value deep depth uh, spirituality. And this puts us in danger of neglecting James. Why? Because if you sit down and you read James. You will quickly discover that most of James is a call to action. It's a call to action. More than half of its verses, actually, are calls to action. Or what theologians call imperatives. Do this. So, if you were to just try this. Close your eyes and point to any part of the book of James. It's most likely you'll point to an imperative. If you're not, it's right above and right below your finger. Imperatives are not suggestions. Suggestions. So I think it's tempting to neglect James. Even as Christians, we're not sure what to do with divine commands. What is, how does this command uh, play into God's grace? And, and how do I avoid legalism? and how do I avoid performative Christianity? just doing? And these are questions we might have and therefore they're realities that might send us into neglect. I think another reason we're tempted is because we're Christ-centered as a church. At Hope, we connect all of life to Jesus. We want His name to come up all the time, especially when we worship. And yet, on the surface, key phrase, on the surface, on the surface, the book of James doesn't mention Jesus by name very often. In fact, twice. In the entire book, we encounter the name of Jesus. And the first one is right there in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then one other time. Now, James, as we will see, is profoundly Christ-centered. But on the surface, we don't see Jesus' name, and so we may be tempted to spend our time in another book of the Bible, where we can find his name more readily. I think a third reason we are tempted to neglect a book like James is because we as a church are cross-shaped. We talk about this a lot. At hope, we find our footing at the foot of the cross. And if you want a deep dive into the meaning of the cross, James is not the first place you would look to. Uh, So John Stott, he's one of my theological heroes. He wrote a classic book called The Cross of Christ. And this week, uh, this is an amazing study on on the cross. and Not just what it means in the Bible, but what it means uh, to us. And well, this week, I looked at the index of this giant book on the cross of Christ. And Stott has seventy-three page references to the book of Romans and four from the book of James. Four. Now, I'll say it again. James is as cross-shaped, if not more right, than we are. But again, James is not typically where you go when you want to learn about the cross, straight ahead teaching on the cross, which means we would be tempted to neglect this book. There's another reason we're grace centered as a church. And so we would be tempted to neglect this book. We're amazed by grace. The reality that God loves us, the reality that God accepts us by grace, and not by anything we have done are doing or will do or won't do. And rightfully so, we are amazed by grace. And James is amazed by grace in the same way. But when we read James 2, and we read faith without work is dead, we get confused. How does that fit into a grace-centered church, we might ask? It's like a rock in our grace-centered shoes. Wait, I thought I was saved by grace. Uh, I I thought it isn't about what I do. And we'll talk about this. James does not contradict grace at all. I'll say that again. James does not contradict Paul in his theology of grace at all. Talk about this. But we might be confused about this and therefore neglect James. I think there's another reason I think our church is uniquely poised to neglect this book. And that is we value, it's actually one of our six values that we shared over the summer spiritual formation spiritual formation I hope we value the inner life we value emotional health then this puts us in danger of neglecting James because James quite frankly is action oriented one writer compares the Christian life to a paintbrush and I love this image being with God being with God is like loading the paintbrush and then doing with God is like painting So there's this beautiful marriage between loading the brush and painting, isn't there? And so if, on the one hand, we don't load the brush, but we spend our life painting, we become dry. And we will run thin. But if all we do is load the brush, we're heavy with paint and we're useless. We're not loving God anymore. There's a beautiful balance to loading a brush and painting with a brush. And I know this because I watch Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen him load his brush? It's amazing. Also married to an artist. Here's the thing. James focuses mainly on painting. Mainly. Not entirely, but mainly. And that's why we read all of Scripture, by the way. Because there's this glorious balance in all of God's Word. But when, when we're focusing on James... We're reading about how to love God and how to love neighbors. It's a painting book. It's a book about how we treat the vulnerable in society and in our church. It's a book about how we use our money. It's a book about how we use our words. But because I think we love to load the brush and hope, which I love that we love, I think we might be tempted to neglect a book like James. So, all these are reasons I think we might be tempted to skip over James at the cafeteria, to treat James like esteemed carrots. And it forces us to question why then study James. And the, the Sunday school answer is why? Because it's God's Word. Right. That's the Sunday school answer. And that is a correct answer, by the way. It is God's word. It's also the easy answer. Just deal with it. It's God's word. Be uncomfortable with it. Sit with it. Eat your broccoli. You know what I mean? That's kind of how a lot of us might be tempted to be walking into this fall. And So I want to spend the remainder of this time with you to sort of sort of go against the eat your broccoli approach. We know it's good for you, but we're just going to plug our nose and eat it. I want to get away from that because we believe that God's word is not just true, but also good and beautiful. And the same is true about James, the book of James. It is not only true, but it is good and it's beautiful. And side note, there's an amazing way to cook broccoli. I'll tell you afterwards. (laughs) You will think it's like better than french fries. (laughs) Oil and kosher salt in a hot, hot oven. That's it. Well, the same is true of James. Again, I don't want this to be a plug your nose and eat it. I want you to pick James and put it on your track by the end of this sermon. Okay? And so I just went through five reasons we may be tempted to neglect it. And and again, all those reasons to neglect James aren't good reasons, but they are real reasons. They're reasons that we ourselves and I myself struggle with. But here are five reasons that I'm excited. I'm excited, especially as a pastor at Hope, to walk with you all and everyone else who comes through these doors in this fall. I'm excited to engage with James. And there's five words to sort of orient these words of excitement. Renovation, rebuilding, roots, relevance, and rest. And I just want to briefly touch on each of these. And we'll begin with renovation. I wonder how many of you want renovation in your life right now? The past 18 plus months, I've heard, have been kind of difficult. That's, that's the word on the street. And so maybe your life has become like my basement, and it just got messy, It got messy. Things got messy, and you're feeling the urge to renovate. We all know about spring cleaning. I have a feeling fall cleaning is going to be all-time high this year. We just want to renovate. We want to refresh. We want change. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you hang with us this fall, you will experience renovation. Renovation is James' whole point. Scholars point out that James is a pastor who is all about change. He wants change for his churches. He he, he believes that change by the power of God is, is possible for his churches that's his pastoral heartbeat, his change, his renovation. James believes in renovation. So hear this, you are not stuck. You who have the Holy Spirit of God. You are not stuck. And James will be a pastor who comes alongside that statement and helps you get unstuck. and points you to the beautiful pathways of God for real renovation. And so just look at verse 2 of chapter 1 with Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, which means mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so I just have to stop right there and say, James is essentially saying right here in verse two, right off the bat, the change is not only possible for the believer, it's It's inevitable. It's what God does. He uses trials in life to renovate and to change. And James knows this. And he's going to draw us to this time and time again. We can change. You can change. Not in your own strength, of course. And we will encounter that time and time again. But by God's power, we can have renovation. If you've been in our house, at the hack house, you know it's largely wood floored. But there's one area, the stairs. The stairs are always—they've uh, always had this old, shaggy carpet, kind of the remnant of of the previous owners, perhaps. That wasn't until two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, uh, so my wife started talking about getting rid of the carpet. She's always been talking about it, but really talking about it. And I would always try to kick the can down the road. It seemed too messy. It seemed too difficult. I don't know uh, what's underneath the carpet. The carpet was gross. It was sort of like causing allergies and smells. But what if what's under it is worse? Who knows what's under it? I don't know what's under it. And that could be another disaster. And I don't want another disaster. We've got too many disasters this year. Let's not do any more disasters. Well, we finally tore it off. And now I don't know what, why we were living with this disgusting carpet for so long. Why on earth did we make peace with this disgusting carpet, when we pulled it up, like, it was nasty. And I was grateful we had like a ton of N95 masks in our house, as we were pulling this stuff up. It seems so obvious. The wood floor is nicer looking anyway, and the air is much cleaner. Just goes to show how difficult change can be, and the prospect of change. How life-changing it is for the better. and So walking through James, I'm just here to say, is going to feel like tearing up carpet. It's going to feel a bit like this. We will not be able to walk through this letter without changing. Let me put it that way. We can't skate high above the book of James. James is too practical. You just read these verses and you're like, I can't just like avoid that statement. And I just want you to see that as a beautiful invitation to change instead of an intimidating process. So imagine yourself in January 2021, you will be different because of this book, and because of our time in this book. And that makes me excited. Renovation. Second, I think our faith needs rebuilding, rebuilding after a season of demolition in different ways. Some of you may be here feeling like your faith has been demolished. Recently, Maybe not all of you, but I wonder if some of you are wondering if Christianity is a quiet, mute voice to the issues of our day. Or perhaps a harmful voice to the issues of our day. Um, Aaron Badenhop, as you know, is a campus pastor. And he would tell you 15 years ago when he started on campus here at Ohio State. The main objection to Christianity on campus, this was just 15, 10 years ago, was, I am not good enough. But today the main objection is, Christianity is not good enough. It's thought to be backwards, it's thought to be aggressive, unscientific, violent, power-seeking, incapable of answering the most pressing questions. Of our day. Perhaps at night. We wonder if it's true. Well I'd like to offer. The book of James. As the perfect book. For you. Here's why. James combines. Deep spirituality. And deep social concern. It's a both and. Document. Some will read it. And say this is too Jesus-y for me. Others will read and say, this is too just for me. And James would say, yes. Yes. Because of James, deep spirituality and deep social concern belong together. Well, love of God and love of neighbor are married. And James helps us see that and what that looks like. Just look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us so both and I can't handle it. Let <laughs> us so both and. What I mean is this James is going to present a picture of Christianity that will help us understand what it means. To love our neighbor well in this season. Who are the dispossessed? And why? And, and what does Jesus. And following Jesus. And in our, in our faith in Jesus. Have to say to that. And what does it mean to keep pure from the world. While also being in the world. As James says here. Both are important. To Pastor James. And so I think this is going to be an amazing book for us. If we are in a rebuilding stage with our faith. If we feel like we're disillusioned, rebuild. Third, I I think we not only need renovation and rebuilding, but roots. Roots in a rootless age. We feel like we're floating in midair, don't we? Uh, And nothing is anchoring us down. Well, in the words of one Bible scholar, the book of James is a window into our roots. And here's why. Take a look at the first few verses. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So from this verse, we we see a a normal welcome. But there's amazing things embedded in this. From these, we learn a few things. Number one, this is James, who is not just servant of the Lord Jesus, but his brother, his half-brother. This gets us real close to our Lord. What an amazing opportunity to spend time with someone who grew up with Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I think a second reason this is a window to our roots is because this is written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, it says, or diaspora. This means that James expects this letter to travel around to the earliest Jewish Christian communities who would like to live in Jerusalem, but who cannot live in Jerusalem because of their faith in Jesus. That's what diaspora means. They've been dispersed out. And we could look at the moment of the stoning of Stephen, perhaps as the moment in which some of the earliest Christian communities were dispersed out of their home city, Jerusalem. And James is probably still in Jerusalem. And we're talking just probably a decade-ish from the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have here in our hands the earliest Christian written document. The Gospels were composed, written even after the book of James, carried on through oral tradition until they were written down. But James, we we think, was written very, very early. And so what we have in James is, is a sermon, probably. In fact, if you were reading this in the Greek, you would see alliteration, you would see rhymes, you would see, well, you do see even in the English, a ton of illustrations. I mean, a ton of illustrations you have like boats and horses and farmers and you name it. You have a ton of application too, don't you? As we talked about. So this was probably a sermon or perhaps James Best of material sent out to the earliest dispersed Christian communities. Many of us Love the picture of the church in Acts chapter 2. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Who's they? This is the earliest Christian communities, the followers of Jesus on the very front end. In verse 43 says, An awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That all things in common is going to play out like crazy in the book of James. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It was like unheard of that there would be need in the earliest Christian communities. That was a pressing issue. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number by day those who were being saved. We love this picture, don't we? There are whole churches that are like, let's be like this, the primitive church. Let's forget all the like, 2,000 years of, of, of church history and just go back to Acts chapter 2. Why do we say this? We say this because we long for this and we long for roots. What we have here in this letter is a window into that community life. James is pastoring to these communities. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. This is ancient Christianity we're going to encounter this fall. So if you're longing to be connected to something ancient, something beyond this year, this decade, this century, this millennia, we have something in James. This is the letter to live for, to live in rather, for a while. It's ancient Christianity. Fourth reason... Is relevance. I think we all long for relevance right now, too. We want to spend some time as a church kind of talking about issues that are relevant to our lives. As I shared with you last time, one pastor dares you to read the book of James in one sitting and not think of 2020. Just about every major issue is spoken to in this letter. And so we can just scan this book together. So look at verse 2 of chapter 1. Trials, anyone? (laughs) Trials? Trials all over the place. I can't think of another time in my life where there have been so many trials. Verse five of chapter one wisdom. Who needs wisdom right now for an issue that's going on in your life? Who needs wisdom? Any of you? (laughs) Speech, verse nineteen. Take a look at that, chapter one, verse nineteen. I can't think of another time in my life where we need to think more carefully about how we talk to one another in online. How we use our words at chapter 2 verse 1 my brothers and sisters show no partiality I can't think of another time in my life where we've been so eager to talk about and so ready even to talk about the sin of partiality and discrimination in society and in our churches so we have James to speak into that Christian hypocrisy if you look later in chapter 2 verse 14 to 14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Okay, so what we have here, and even in all of chapter 4, with this warning against worldliness, and this boasting about tomorrow, there is so much treatment in the book of James about hypocrisy, about confessing Jesus and having correct theology, but in everything else in our life, showing a different thing. You know, folks who believe the right things but are not demonstrating Christ likeness in their life. Who James would be call friends of the world and not friends of God. We can go on chapter five, verse one through six, and see how James speaks of issues of social injustice. We wonder how our faith intersects with Our discussion about injustice in this world. Well, chapter 5 has strong words about landowners who are depriving the workers of their wages. Strong words. If you want, just read verses 1 through 6 as I'm even preaching and see these strong words. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And we think that the earliest Christian communities were the marginalized communities who were poor, who were working the fields and were being cheated out of their wages from the wealthy landowners. And James, like an Old Testament prophet of old, is, is just like unleashing on this injustice. And so this will be helpful for us as we find our voice in our world. And then prayer, verse 13 of chapter 5. Folks wonder if our prayers matter. When things happen, uh, you know, we're told to to not pray, but to get busy. But but James says, yeah, do both. Pray. And it teaches us to pray. And and the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. Compassion. We see compassion. We already saw it in chapter 1, verse 27. We see it also in chapter 5, verse 19 anyone among you is one James wants to give us the eyes of the shepherd folks want to know if Christians are compassionate if we're good for society and for each other and look that's just a high high flyover of some of the themes in the book of James but I think it reminds us that our faith is deeply relevant to the issues of the day And then finally here, I want to talk about rest. Rest, because we are all weary, aren't we? We're weary. And maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is not the book for me now right now. (laughs) We need rest. And on the surface, as I said, James comes in with demands. James comes in with calls to action. And we're thinking, oh great, that's just what I need. But James is different and I want us to see that and I want us to own that right on the front end because the law that we encounter in James is something he calls look at verse 25 and verse 1 the law of liberty or chapter 2 verse 8 the royal law who's James talking about when he says royal he's not talking about Caesar no no no. No, he's talking about Jesus. His Lord. His curios. His Lord. Jesus. Royal law means that James is not just pointing us to, to rules and demands, because that's what it means to be a Christian, is to follow rules. That's not at all what James' pastoral heartbeat is. What James is doing is he's pointing us to the life of Jesus. I mean, you could argue that the book of James is basically like a bunch of quotes from the book of Matthew. Because what James is doing is he's saying, remember that light yoke that Jesus says, if you put on you, you become more human, you become more alive. That's what this is all about. The the law of liberty fits so well on his people. It is a yoke, but it's an easy yoke. It's like putting on clothes that fit well. Even if it's uncomfortable, they fit well. Because it's how we were designed to live. James even knows that we don't measure up to this law of liberty. Which is why he assures us in chapter 4, verse 6, if you take a look. It's a very important verse in the book of James. He gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but to the humble, he gives grace. And so when we come into this and we're like, oh my gosh, I do not measure up. What does Pastor James say? What does Jesus say? Yes, I know this, and I give you more grace. In fact, one scholar says that the entire letter of James can be summarized in one phrase, friendship with God. James says not to be friends of the world, implying friendship with God is the heartbeat of this letter. Jesus calls us his friends. And so when we encounter challenge in James, I want you to think about it this way. We need to ask this question. Who's challenging me? Is it my friend Or my enemy? Who's challenging me? Is it my friend? Is this person against me or for me? When a friend challenges you, you are secure. And let me just say this about friendship. We'll dig into this later more, but friendship in the ancient world, far, 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 far different thing than friendship in the modern world. In fact, Friendship probably has more to do with, with how we view marriage today in the ancient world. There was such a commitment there. And that's how God approaches you and James, friend of God. You are his. You are his. You are his friend. And so James offers rest, I think, in this moralistic culture where we're always trying to measure up to our own standards and the standards around us and we're feeling like we're failing, feeling like we're failing, feeling like we're failing. But James doesn't give you rest by offering you no rules. No, James gives you rest by giving you the law of liberty. This is the pathway of life. What a beautiful gift to us today. Think about James himself for just a minute as we close. Not the letter, but the, the man. We know from the gospel narratives that James the man rejected his brother, Jesus. His half-brother. But what does Jesus do in his resurrection? Does he say... My family, they didn't follow me in my earthly ministry. They didn't follow me in my ministry. They they rejected me. They were actually hindrancing me in my ministry. Forget James. No, no, no. We know Jesus chased after James in his resurrection. So James believes It becomes a pastor in the early church. A faithful pastor in the early church. He finds rest in Jesus, who he previously rejected. And he wants others to experience the same. He wants to give you renovation, rebuilding, roots. Yes, relevance and rest. And so just get excited. That's my goal this morning. It's to get us excited, to whet our appetite for James. So next week, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, we're just going to dig right in and walk the path that he gives us, which is the path of Jesus. So Lord, would you make us hungry for this letter? Would you make us hungry for your word? Most of all, would you make us hungry for Jesus? And it's in his name we pray. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.